All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Sales Podcast. This is your host, Tommy Tahoe Lemo, and we're in it after um, crazy last few weeks with the election, everything going on, um, you know, despite what side of the line that you are on. I think we can all maybe take an exhale that that has, uh, is over. We can move on. We're getting close to holiday season. And um, truthfully, I'm massively, massively excited to share this episode with you. Um, got Justin Welsh. So if you are in the SaaS game, if you're on LinkedIn, you probably have seen Justin before. But in case you haven't, um, Justin is currently the founder of his uh, consulting firm called JW Strategic Advisory. Um, but he really cut his teeth uh, in, you know, healthcare, SaaS sales. So he, uh, you know, was was really kind of a straggler in the beginning of his career, which he's going to get into, um, in which he, you know, kind of jumped around from a few different companies. Uh, I think he got fired, you know, three or four times, was struggling to hit quota, ended up finding his place at a company called ZocDoc, uh, in 2009, end of 2009, which uh, really turned into a rocket ship. He spent four years there, went up from AE to be the director of sales, um, eventually wound his way to Patient Pop at the beginning of 2015, spent just about five years there, and he uh, was the SVP and CRO there, and he was able to lead them from $0 to $50 million in recurring revenue uh, and went from one sales employee to over 150 sales employees. So over five years, they were named, uh, you know, Consumer World Awards Company of the Year, Entrepreneur's Third Most Entrepreneurial Company of 2019, uh, one of the fastest growing companies in 2018, best places to work, everything that you would imagine. Uh, he helped to lead that organization. And he left that uh, just over a year ago now to start his own uh, consulting firm, which I mentioned, where he's helping to coach uh, other companies uh, get from that zero to 50 million ARR spot. Um, in the meantime, he has crushed it on LinkedIn specifically and really is one of the, the top people in the game around building your personal brand. So he went from virtually nothing to now almost 60,000 followers on LinkedIn. He's got the LinkedIn playbook that he launched probably a year ago, which is already a six-figure course. I mean, the thing is, I think it's 50 or $60, and he's earned uh, over 100 grand with it uh, by, by putting this course together. So it's a very actionable guide for how to build you know, your content on LinkedIn, how to build a following, um, and why that's even important in the first place. Uh, if you are an SDR or an account executive or a sales manager or whatever you might be, why it's so important to actually build that presence. So uh, we get all over the map. You know, I, I really hone in uh, with Justin about the early days of his sales career because I was interested in learning what was that tipping point for him to get from failed sales rep that can never hit quota to all of a sudden this guy that is leading um, really successful companies and now advising really successful companies. So we do talk about that. We talk about you know his strategy for networking and how much time that he puts into that uh, we talk about time management. We talk about money management. We talk about relationship management towards the end, uh, and not with your clients, but with your spouse or significant other. And that's something that I definitely admire him for is his emphasis that he places on, you know, his wife and spending time with her. And now even having a, a side venture with her, where they founded the Shelby Project, which invests in small companies 
uh, not SaaS companies like a barbershop or a, you know, uh, you know, dog grooming company or something like that. That's a small business that he thinks he can add value to. So without further ado, um, I think you're really going to love Justin Welsh. He's very well-spoken. He drops absolute knowledge bombs on a daily basis on LinkedIn, and he's been there and done it. And um, a lot of things that I want to do in my career or that you might want to do in your career, he has accomplished them and, and he's working on them right now. So I think you're going to appreciate this. Uh, the last message before we get into the conversation is if you find any value in it, uh, if you like what Justin has to say, give him a shout, but show some love to the podcast. Um, subscribe wherever you're listening. If it's Apple or Spotify, uh, if it's YouTube, what's up? Uh, you can check, check us out visually. Uh, this is done on Zoom. And, uh, and leave a review. That, that's what helps to spread this message. It's something that I do for free uh, every single week for over three years now. And I love doing it. So um, if you could help spread the word, that'd be great. Without further ado, you're sick of hearing me. Let's get into my conversation with the Justin Welsh. Let's go. Justin Welsh. Good morning. Welcome to Millennial Sales, man. Um, thanks so much for having me, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. How are we doing this morning? Doing great. Um, you know, it's early in the morning and uh, just uh, getting my, what is it, Friday? Getting my Friday started. I've lost track of days since uh, the pandemic. Like, I think I was on a podcast yesterday. I was like, oh, it's a great Monday. And he was like, it's Thursday. I was like, right. <laughs> Makes sense. And, you know, moving across the country probably does that to you and everything too, right? You were, you were on the road for a while, no? Yeah, we were on the road for, I don't know the exact amount of time, but I think 35 or 36 days. Um, my wife and I left um, LA in, in June, I think it was. And we just drove across the country. We drove through uh, Phoenix. We stopped in El Paso where my wife's parents are from. You know, we did a week in Austin and then we kind of came through the Southeast and up into Nashville. And I think we've been here now about 10 weeks and it's been awesome. Like, I love LA and I miss LA and I, I miss all the places that I've lived before, but Nashville has been, been really cool, super chill, really great people. And so we're, we're just, you know, getting used to it, but we love it so far. That's great. That's great. Um, well, I want to get into the conversation today. You know, I've found tremendous value in a lot of the content and everything that you've shared on LinkedIn, you know, when you're running Thursday night sales, just a lot of the, the, philosophies that you have. So I'm excited to have this conversation. And, um, you know, I want to take it back to really focus on, at least in the beginning here on, on some of the early stages of your career. So there's, you know, a post that you had, or maybe several where you talk about, you know, I don't think you hit quota, the first four sales jobs, uh, you got fired from your first three sales jobs. And then you landed at ZocDoc, which happened to be, um, you know, turned into an amazing company. You had a great run there and that kind of launched you on a string of really successful uh, tangents uh, in SaaS. But I want to start with those first few jobs. Like what was, what was going on? Did you really not hit quota? Did you really get fired those three times? Like what, how, what was your mentality? Like, like can you talk about that experience? Yeah. I mean, coming out of school, I was always, my dad was a salesperson for, and he still is, uh, 50 years now. And he spent 40 years at one company. And so <clears throat> when my dad, when I looked at like my, my parents, 
we had, you know, a nice house and a couple of cars and like, we lived in the Midwest, I'm from Cleveland. And so I was like, oh, that's life, right? Like, that's what you do. And that's cool. And that's awesome. And so I'm going to get into sales and be like my dad. Um, and so I got into pharmaceutical sales, which is what my dad did. And the truth of the matter is I just wasn't very mature. Um, I was a pretty immature sort of 22, 23 year old. I guess we all are, but I was probably on the, the lower end of the maturity level. And so I didn't understand what it, what it took to really be an active and professional employee. And so because I was a field salesperson, which I was for many years, there was no accountability. I didn't have to go to an office. Um, I didn't have a manager looking over my shoulder. And so for the most part, um, you know, I just didn't work very hard. Uh, and so when you don't work very hard, uh, physician prescribing habits don't change in your favor when you're selling pharmaceuticals. And so um, I always missed quota. Uh, I got fired from two different pharma jobs. Um, and then I ended up in med device. And I ended up in med device as like a step down. I was a, what they would call a territory associate, making very little money supporting, you know, a guy who had been at the company for a very long time. And that was like, that was like actually my first real look at responsibility because he needed me to be active every day. And I was in the operating room every morning, generally at, at 530 in the morning. And so I did take pride in that job and I did land my own territory with that company. Um, but within 10 months, I got fired because I didn't understand the medical device world. I didn't understand how much I had to learn about those products. And I wasn't, again, I wasn't that interested. Like I worked a little bit harder and it put a few extra pennies in the CEO's pocket. Like that wasn't that interesting to me. Um, and so I ended up getting fired from that job at Stryker as well. So what was, what did that feel like? Like, were you someone that was, you know, you mentioned maybe you were a little lower on the maturity scale. We all are, I think coming out of school or, or for the most part, but were you, were you bummed? Were you like, man, I think I could be pretty good at this sales thing. Or were you, it was just like, Hey, I'm, you know, this is something I do from 10 to three. And outside of that, I'm either sleeping or partying or, you know, playing video games or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like I, I, I was bummed. Yes. And you'll see me like a lot of times I write on LinkedIn and I say things to the effect of, you know, you control your own destiny and you know you got to put in the effort and build your network and what i'm doing is talking to my younger self talking to people who may have been or may be in the same situation that i was in in meaning that when i got fired i always thought it was someone else's fault like that's just where i was in life right like it certainly wasn't me it was definitely somebody else and <clears throat> you know i think if i had been mature enough and objective enough to zoom out and look at the pattern, then I, I could have very easily come to the conclusion that it was my fault. And so that's why I talk a lot about, about that stuff is because I know that there are people in that situation today who are struggling, who have been fired and who think that it doesn't get any better. And it does, but you just have to objectively look at your career and figure out like, if things are going poorly, what can I do to improve the situation. So that's why I write about that stuff a lot. And did that hit you at the time or is this more so looking back and reflecting? It's looking back and reflecting. Um, yeah. I, got, I got what I would call lucky. Um, and I think anyone whose journey ends up being relatively successful, there is a great bit of luck involved. And I think when people say, 
otherwise. I just don't believe them. I think we all get lucky in some ways. Um, no, what, what happened was um, I put my resume on monster.com. That was what kind of what you did back in 2008 and nine. Um, and it had some relatively exaggerated accomplishments on it as all resumes do, by the way. I don't, I don't recommend that, but like all resumes are exaggerated in my opinion. I've never interviewed a bottom performer. Um, <laughs> and so uh, that resume ended up on the desk of a guy named Cyrus Masumi, who was building a company in New York called ZocDoc. And he reached out to me and asked if I would come to New York to interview. And I was living in Allentown, PA. I had been bouncing around small Midwestern towns up until the age of 28. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll go to New York City and interview for this job. And, and what happened, Tom, was there was this really interesting sort of intersection of positive things that happened that set me on the right path. And number one was um, the, the product and company was incredible. Like I saw online doctor's appointments that didn't exist in 2009, right? Like, so I was like, oh, this is unique and interesting. This is a game changer. This is something that I would be passionate to sell. The team was like, wildly smart. Right? You sit down in a room. I, I went and interviewed with the, the, the four sort of executive team members. And I was like, wow, these people are brilliant. And plus to the CEO and the COO. And like, I have access to these people where I never had that before in my life. The city, the energy of New York City, like you get there and everyone's hustling and you're like, oh, if I don't hustle here, like you don't survive. Right. And, and then my own maturity level, you know, I was 28 going on 29. Um, and I think it was just the right time for me. And when those four things sort of came together, it, it just worked for me. And the very first day on that job, I made a sale after having gone like eight years without hitting quotas or making sales. Like I made a sale my very first job, like I think his name was Salil Gupta, an orthopedic surgeon. Um, and I still remember it. Like I was with my boss and I don't know, that's, that like got me really excited. And so for the next four and a half years, I, I was a, you know, got promoted multiple times in that in that that role i loved it okay so all right i love this so you're 28 um you know you've had a this string of unsuccessful sales stints you find this company you know pretty serendipitously like you just you didn't even find it they, they found you it sounds That's like right. right uh you're energized by the product you think this leadership is really smart you make a sale your first day things are going well so at that point did you change your behavior from what you were doing at some of these other jobs? Were you, did you start working harder? Did you start leveraging some of those really smart people as mentors? Did you start reading books? Did you, what, what was like the action change? What was the tipping point there? Yeah. Uh, first of all, really, really good question. I think, um, yes. So a couple of things happened for the very first time. I was still a field rep. So I was a field rep uh, at ZocDoc and I was, I was working a territory in to start Staten Island which was a whole nother story of, cause I didn't have any car. I didn't have a car or anything. It took me two and a half hours just to get to my territory. Um, but uh, I had to go to the office at the end of every day. And at the end of every day, you know, if I showed up at five 30, my boss would be like, what are you doing here, man? Go back out. Like, don't come back before six. And I was like, Oh, this is like, this is intense. And so we'd go there and then we would, we would work until eight, eight 30 or nine. And everyone stayed in the office. And that was like, you know, the thing. And so I had to like work hard and I was like, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the product. I enjoyed the results I was getting. And back then there were no blogs. Like you, you there was none of this stuff, right? Like you didn't log on and listen to a sales podcast. You didn't read a blog about how to get better at sales. There, were no, there wasn't a whole lot of technology like outreach and sales loft and gong and all this stuff. None of that existed. Right. 
And so to me, the way that I invested in myself was through my peers. I was lucky enough to have some really talented salespeople hired around me, some of my best friends to this day. And what we did was we did, um, you know, bar education. <laughs> we, we, we went out at night, you know, and we argued, <laughs> you know, yeah. oh, here's, here's what I would have said to that objection. Oh man, I'm better at sales than you are. Here's how, here's how many deals <laughs> I closed. And it became like that sort of, you know, energetic, you know, alcohol fueled, you know, arguing about sales, but it was cool. Like I was a young person in New York city for the very first time surrounded by really incredible salespeople. And that was my education. Right. And I'm not suggesting that that's the proper way to educate yourself in sales, but that's just what happened to me. And that's my story. So, um, I got really intensely competitive with those guys. Um, and so I wanted to beat them every week. And, um, so yeah, that, that's how I stayed motivated and, and got educated. That's so funny. And that's, that actually gets you more motivated too, because if, if people are that, you know, uh, interested in sales that they want to have debates about it at the bar and you're, you're kind of going back and forth with people, that's just an inspiring environment. I know when I started my first sales job was uh, in college selling cut code knives and there were these sure. two guys that, um, you know, we were all doing it for the summer. We didn't know each other before, but we were all very competitive and we would do the same thing. And like each week it would be a competition kind of like, who's going to get the most demos, who's going to sell the most things like that. And, um, but not in like a cold blooded way of like, man, no. I hope this person fails. It was just like, it just kept me going and it was fun. And it just like gave you something to really get jacked up about in the morning. And so I think early in, in your career, finding peers, it's great to find mentors and things like that, but finding peers that, are also passionate and want to get better is a great kind of tip for getting yourself rolling. Totally. And like, listen, that kind of education doesn't scale, right? Like, you don't, as you get to be 100 and 200 salespeople, that's not how you like train and educate your sales team. But that's just my true story. That's, that's how I got educated in that role. And I think it's really important early on in the startup's lifetime that the first few salespeople that they hire, that they're super competitive and that they, they don't have to be similar, but they should sort of form a tight bond. And when I go and advise for startups now and I walk in or, you know, virtually now, of course, but I meet their salespeople and they're all good buddies and, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're getting along well and they're competitive. I always see that spark and I love that. Like I, I just, that's always a good indicator for me that they have, you know, at least a good fundamental foundation for, for selling and, um, so yeah, that, that's what happened to me. And that, how would you recommend folks do that, you know, now in a time where it's all virtual, right? Like, yeah. you know, I'm part of a team of got about 10 or so sales reps, right? So it's still fairly young. Like there's some Slack messages, you know, we've got like a Friday happy hour that we do. But other than that, it's, it's very unique joining a company like this. My first time, you know, joining virtually where you don't have those like moments where it's whatever time, five o'clock on a Friday, you look around like, Hey, you want, you want to go grab a beer or like, Hey, you know, you want to grab a coffee or those types of spontaneous interactions sure. don't really happen. <clears throat> yeah. I think that's why communities are springing up, right? You see mm -hmm. communities for executives like Rev revenue collective, you see communities for, for sales folks like rev genius, you see a bunch of those types of communities popping up. And I think like that's that right now is the closest thing, but I think inside of those communities, you need to form sub communities. So for me, like, yes, I belong to Revenue Collective um, and it's, I think there's 2,500 folks in that and that's awesome. But like, I really have a core group 
right, of like four or five people that I meet with on a regular basis. And so we do Zoom meetings, Zoom coffee, Zoom beer, whatever. I still keep in contact with like a lot of my former colleagues at Patient Pop and at ZocDoc. You know, I have routine, you know, we grab a beer on Zoom, like I said. So I think like you have to get creative in that way, but it's really hard when communities are large. And so I always say like, find your sub community inside of the community, find three or four guys and gals that you really, really, um, you know, vibe with and set up something routine and have like an agenda. Like, okay, cool. We're going to meet bi-weekly. Like, what are we going to talk about bi-weekly? Is it just, we're going to jump on a zoom meeting and share a coffee or a beer that that's awesome. It's great for catching up. Or like, are we going to treat this? Like we might treat a work meeting, right? Where we have like an agenda. Hey, let's work on something together this week. What did you learn? What, you know, what should we talk about? What's the agenda topic? Is it objection handling? Is it how to work through a multi-stakeholder sales deal? Like what is the actual agenda? And so I do that with a, a, a small group of people that I'm really close with and we get online and like Kevin Dorsey, right? KD is a, a buddy of mine from, from Patient Pop and he and I chat every other week. And, you know, we always have like reasons to connect and, and try and push our careers forward. That's great. And I think, you know, that also, it speaks to the, the wisdom of also trying to look outside of your organization for some of that guidance too, because at a company, especially as the company gets bigger, I think there can be groupthink. I think people can start to all kind of have similar ideas, especially if folks have been there for a while. So trying to reach out to folks in different companies or maybe even different industries um, at different stages, you can get new ideas that way too. Totally. And I think there's other like creative ways to think about that. You know, for the last week I've been interviewing coaches and um, you know, I'm, I'm, I act as an advisor to early stage startups, but I like to have a coach. Um, you know, I have my wife who I can bounce ideas off of. I have my buddies who I can bounce ideas off of, but it's really nice to have sort of an external set of eyes who, you know, has no bias. <laughs> and so that's, that's what a great coach does. And some really great coaches are really expensive. You can find other folks that will mentor you for free. And so my, my recommendation, especially in this kind of challenging time of the pandemic is to go out and find someone who's external to you, to your business, to your core group of friends, to your family, that, that will be real with you. That will really share, um, you know, how they're feeling and kind of not, not pull any punches. I think that's what I kind of call an accountability partner. And that's, I think, a better name for, for coach, at least for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I want to kind of fast forward in this, uh, in this story to when you get over to Patient Pop, right? And you have obviously just tremendous success in terms of growing the team from and growing the revenue from about zero or zero to mm -hmm. 50 plus million dollars, several years growing the, you know, continuing to expand the team. If you could really point back to anything that you think you did exceptionally well there, that was the difference maker in terms of sales leadership, what do you think that was? Well, I think first of all, um, there was another element of luck in this story and maybe it's not luck. Um, uh, maybe it's just a really good fit, which is I was a top performer at ZocDoc and I had moved up the ranks into several leadership roles. And when I went to do my first executive role at Patient Pop as the VP of sales, it was SMB SaaS in the healthcare technology space selling to private practice physicians. So I was it's the same world, right? So I had just been doing that for five years. And so I, I, I really understood that world. So my, my first sort of, I guess, recommendation is if you're going to take your first executive role, like wait for the role that feels like it fits. If I had gone into fintech, 
or enterprise selling or something that I just truly didn't understand, I probably would have failed, but I chose something that was right up my alley. So that, that was the first thing that I think led to, led to some early wins. I think the next thing is like, I am, you know, I have a good network on LinkedIn today. Back then I didn't, but I did have a good network of high performers from previous jobs, namely ZocDoc, right? And so when I went out to build my early sales team, like I, I went on the dating scene, right? Like I went and wooed every person that I could possibly woo to the business uh, to, to join me. And so for, for example, like Max Kim Brown was the first salesperson there. He was there before I, I was there. He's the one who recommended me for the job. He was a, someone who reported to me at ZocDoc. I went out very quickly and took Derek Jankowski out to dinner and um, convinced him to leave his job and come join me. And then Shout I went- Derek. Yeah, De Derek's great. Derek's my first hire. And I had known Derek. He was my SDR at ZocDoc. Um, and so I went out and I started picking off some folks who had left ZocDoc. I, I, <clears throat> I have, ZocDoc holds a place in my heart, so I didn't steal anyone from the business. I just went out and found those folks that had left and were, didn't like their jobs. And I picked them, picked them from their roles and put them in the patient pop. And so <clears throat> I think one of the really healthy things that I did was build a good sales team early on, a sales team of proven top performers folks that I knew would be plug and play, that they weren't risky whatsoever. And, you know, that, that was my strategy as the team grew. My strategy as the team grew, Tom, was to hire, you know, less risky people who were much smarter than me in very specific ways and give them autonomy to do their job well. Like I had never built an inside sales team before. So I hired Kevin, you know? plug and play. He had built Snack Nation. He had built Service Titan. He was, you know, very well regarded. You know, as Max uh, grew his career as a field sales rep, who better than to turn the reins over to him? He's now the VP of field sales over there. And, you know, what I did was I went and found Robert Palumbo. He was an insanely good salesperson from ZocDoc and he started to learn how to build partnerships. So as soon as I needed someone to run partnerships, I promoted him into that role. And so, you know, the, the takeaway is hire people who are really smart and get out of their way. I, I know that's a popular saying, and that's the one that I followed. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And it goes, again, goes back to the earlier days at ZocDoc, the relationships you built surrounding yourself around great, talented, smart people. Um, and then at what point throughout PatientPop did you start really leveraging LinkedIn um, to mm. help grow your network and to grow your brand? Like what, where, like in the time trajectory was that? Yeah, it was actually like kind of towards the end of my, my, my tenure there. Um, you know, I started in January of 2015 at Patient Pop and I started contributing on LinkedIn in January of 2019. So four years later, um, you know, I had made the hypothesis or, or a formed one that 2019, 2020, 2021 would be highly dependent on having an audience and a network. And at this point in time, in January of 2019, I had actually had a conversation with the co-founders at Patient Pop and letting them know that I was, I was burning out and that I would be leaving in, in 2019. Um, and so part of my audience building was one, I believed it would just benefit me, number one. Uh, number two, I believed it would benefit Patient Pop. I had seen KD doing it for a while and I could see the benefit that it was having in recruiting. And then like the third is I figured if I was going to leave my job, I better have a really strong network and audience, um, you know, to leverage. And so I started contributing, I think in January of 2019 and immediately I kind of joined KD in that, 
in that journey. And our recruiting jumped like crazy. Like we had so many inbound folks that were top performers that really helped grow patient pop, but obviously it had benefit for, for me personally, as well as I, I left uh, patient pop on August 1st of 2019. That's crazy. I mean, so I want to talk a little bit about the, the recruiting piece that you just brought up. Cause that's something that, you know, I've heard Scott Lee's talk about as well, that he's never paid for recruiting because of, of LinkedIn. I think, a lot of executives or some executives maybe to not paint a broader picture don't get it right. Like they might see that as a distraction or they might see that as you showing out your, your ego or something like that, or trying to, you know, flex on social media or why aren't you selling or doing this forecast or whatever. Um, but there's impacts on one, the recruiting side two, the people that you meet, right. That you're then going to have a zoom coffee with or whatever, um, help you get better at your job, right? So there's a lot of, and then three, you know, it adds just general brand awareness. Like I I would not know who Patient Pop was without you or Kevin Dorsey. Like I would not know as much about other companies like Drift or Gong or Outreach or whomever if it wasn't for some of the folks that post there. So I think there's just an overall brand reputation, but have you ever had pushback from executives on that? Yeah, definitely. Um, when I started, it wasn't just pushback uh, from executives. It was pushback from a lot of people. Um, I think the co-CEOs um, maybe didn't understand, right? They, they since understand. I'm, I'm very close with both Luke and Travis at Patient Pop. Um, they didn't necessarily understand the why behind it. And I think that was part of, partly my fault. Um, I probably didn't do a good job of setting the expectation, which I think if I could go back in time, I would have reset that expectation much uh, in, in a much better way. And I also think the team didn't understand, right? Like there's a natural inclination and I did it when I was a rep. I remember doing it at ZocDoc. You don't see the VP a lot. They're in their office, they're traveling. And you're like, does that guy or gal actually do anything? Right? Like that's, <laughs> I, I remember thinking that like, uh, at ZocDoc about uh, some of the folks that we had like, oh, is that, you know, they are actually working hard. Yes. <laughs> um, so I think that, you know, the team didn't see me that often. I was in my office. I worked from home twice a week. Um, and so then they see me on LinkedIn. Like, I think the natural question becomes like, oh, is this guy just spending all of his time there? I'm very regimented with my time. So I, I, I schedule everything that I do. Um, so I think that that also caused a, a very small irritation that I, I again, didn't get ahead of. That was my fault, right? I'm, I'm, I usually over-communicate and in the, that, those two circumstances, I under-communicated. And so um, if I could go back in time, I would have communicated more effectively to my team. But I think what happened over the course of time is uh, folks saw the impact. They saw people coming into the business that were better and more talented. They saw that Patient Pop was started to win awards, started to become a recognizable brand. Then guys like Sam Lewis and guys like Jesse Gitler and Derek and started participating and contributing, you know, on the platform. And, you know, we sell websites to physicians. Like there's no reason that Patient Pop should be that popular online, right? There's, there's no indicator that it should be a wildly popular brand. And I like to think that we went from being this sort of hidden brand in Santa Monica to being a business that people wanted to work at. And I don't know, I think that's pretty cool. Super cool. And you mentioned, this is something I wanted to get into. You mentioned time management. And mm -hmm. to me, you seem like someone that 
from the outside, I don't know you particularly well, but on the outside looks like kind of has like a Tim Ferriss-esque nature to you in the sense that you seem to really optimize things. You seem to really be focused on, you know, not, you know, kind of cutting, you know, trimming the fat, so to speak, in terms of time, in terms of energy, resources, things like that. I know you've, um, you know, posted before about spending less time, you know, at work even, right? And spending more time with your wife and spending more time, you know, outside or exercising. I know you've lost a lot of weight since you left Patient Pop, all these great things. So walk me through the Justin Welsh day. Like, how do you, how do you run your day? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So often when I write content, in fact, the majority of the time when I write content, I'm actually writing to myself. Like it is, it is almost a running, for lack of a better description, like diary or journal, right? And most of the stuff that I'm aiming at is just aimed at myself. And so when I make recommendations, I'm actually reminding myself because frankly, um, it's something I actually struggle with. So while I can appreciate um, how it comes across as though I might be in the Tim Ferriss camp, I actually struggle with that a lot. And one thing that I struggle with is I say yes to a lot of things. And so you'll see me writing content about how to say no. I'm telling myself how to say no. Um, and it's something I'm actively working on all the time. And so what happens is I, I ultimately, because I say yes to a lot of things, I become a workaholic. And so that's something that I'm working on. So I'll give you an example of, of like a week of mine. You know, I get up every morning around 6 a.m. or 5.30, depends on the day. You know, I carve out time for LinkedIn. You know, I'm on LinkedIn from seven in the morning until eight in the morning, engaging with people, contributing to the platform, having conversations. I do an exercise, shower up. I've got client meetings all day. And then I usually have a podcast or, you know, connecting with Derek or Kevin or Jess Strickland or someone from Patient Pop that, you know, just doing our, our biweekly catch-ups. And that happens routinely, nonstop, Monday through Friday. And then I look back at the week and I say, you know, what happened to the strategic time, right? How do I take my business from where it is today to um, more scalable, right? And, and you can't do that if you are continuously a tactician. And so part of what I've been working on over the last six months has been removing a lot of those, uh, I don't know how to describe them, but I say yes to a lot of things that aren't, aren't as meaningful to me as um, you know, strategic work for my business and trying to really carve out time that is absolutely no time. So like when someone asks to do something on a Monday afternoon or a Friday afternoon for me, it's no, every time. Those are now my strategic times. And so um, I think you have to be really cognizant because schedules get, get crammed up pretty easily. And if you're not aware of that all the time, suddenly you'll look at your week and be like, oh, I don't actually have any time to do something that I wanted to do. And so that's a, that's a constant battle for me, to be honest, Tom. Interesting. And so you've clearly made a priority, though, of continuing to network with people, both on LinkedIn and people, you know, probably net new people, as well as people that you know, you have a relationship like, say, KD. How like how often would you say that you're actually having calls with people, whether it's, you know, in either of those two camps? Like, is it every single day you you're like, hey, I'm going to spend I'm going to have three calls today or like, you know, I know, for example, someone told me before, hey, I want to have one networking call a day in the afternoon. That's my goal. Um, seems like maybe you have more than that. I'm, I'm curious because that's that's yeah. definitely feel like a strength of yours is just like the, the network that you build. Yeah, it's definitely a strength. And so networking is always time well spent. Um, 
don't, don't get me wrong. Like I, I love to network. And so I usually have, I, I used to have two to three sort of calls a day. And now I've, I've sort of reduced that to probably two calls a week. And so um, I, I try and treat it less urgently. I'm, I'm huge. Um, one, of my, one of my challenges is I create a lot of self-urgency when there's no need for it. Uh, my wife will tell you that. She's like, there's, you don't, that ha- doesn't have to get done right now. Like you can, and I, but I, that's just how I'm wired. And so I'm starting to space out and spread out how I book calls with folks. So that, you know, that, that thing I described doesn't happen where my week goes by and suddenly I look back and say, wow, I didn't really accomplish much. So, you know, I'm now down to about two calls a week. Um, and then my clients, I work with Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Monday, Friday for me is creative day. Kind of like I talked about, I'm usually creative in the morning. I'll write a blog post. I'll write some LinkedIn posts. I'll write just for myself. I like to write. Um, and then in the afternoons to me, it's strategy time. Like, what am I doing to actually make my business, you know, again, more scalable? Like, what can I outsource? What can I eliminate? I'm thinking about those things Mondays and Fridays. Um, and that, that has gotten me in a better place. And I plan to accelerate, um, you know, how I spend my time do, doing more strategic work come, you know, the latter part of 2020 and early 2021. This might be a, a strangely tactical question about networking, but sometimes, you know, especially via Zoom, right, as everything's happening nowadays, say you meet someone through Revenue Collective or LinkedIn and, you know, they ask you for a call and you're like, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to this person. Like, I always find the first, you know, however long to be like incredibly awkward because just like, oh, where are you from? How you do? It's like, you know, one, one person that really stuck out to me at the first question he asked me was, what are the three books that change your life? Like before, where do you live? What do you do? That was like his first question. I thought that was super interesting. So I, I'm just curious if you have any like ways that strategic ways you go about networking to get the most out of it, to show your best self, to get the most out of the person you're with, et cetera. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, like one guy that I've recently, I've never met him in person, but we've started meeting on a, what I would call a semi-regular basis is a guy named Brendan Short. Um, I met him through LinkedIn and he's a former founder who had sold his business. And now I think he works for, I think he works for Zoom now. Um, And I don't know, certain people I just vibe with, like um, Brendan's a really smart dude. And so when we get on, when we get on calls, the, the way that our call started is by sharing information that we had recently, you know, consumed that was really helpful like he's a big information consumer. So am I, I read, I, I go through blogs, I'm on Twitter a lot, kind of consuming what I think is really good information. And so Brendan and I kind of hit it off just by jumping on the call and being like, hey, did you see this tweet? Did you see how this guy does this particular thing? Did you see how this guy set up his business? And like, that just sparked natural conversation versus like, where you, I'm, I always do that. Where are you from? Tell me a little bit about yourself, blah, 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 blah. But like, I like to get into immediately talking about, you know, information that we've been consuming because that opens up broader conversations. What did you think about that? Oh, I like this part, but I disagree with that part. Why'd you disagree with that part? And then it just becomes a natural flowing conversation. So, so for me, that's sort of how I think about networking. And in the end, like, I think one of the big things you can do to, to be a good networker is to say, Hey, cool. I had a lot of fun on this call. Right. But I have a lot of fun on a lot of calls and we never end up talking, uh, you know, again, why don't we put a placeholder for next month for, a, you know, another conversation for 30 minutes? And that way you get some consistency. And I did that with Brendan. I did that with a, another guy, Kevin Romani. And, you know, we meet on a routine basis now and we have great things to talk about. And 
it's continual. So our relationship is growing. Yeah. I love that. And on the, on the train of thought around being interested, consuming kind of different ideas. Another thing I saw you posting a while ago, and maybe this mm -hmm. was on Twitter was taking some of the courses that you do, right? Like say the LinkedIn playbook, uh, taking the revenue from that and then like reinvesting that in stocks. And like, you, you seem to have this again, like the optimized system, it seemed like. So is that something that you, maybe it was just a post and I'm over-exaggerating how important it was to you, but is that like a strict, can you talk about how you're handling the finances of all these totally. things too? Totally, man. Um, so that that is stuff that I'm very, very rigid about. So I have multiple pieces to my business. So today, the core piece of my business is my advising firm, which is just myself, just a solo guy. And I advise uh, anywhere between six on the low end and 10 on the high end businesses at one time, generally closer to six or seven. And um, that is the core, I guess, meat and potatoes of my revenue. Um, secondarily, I have some additional revenue streams. I have um, the LinkedIn playbook, which I, is a course that I sell and I think you're familiar with. And so that in its first 12 months is a six figure course. So that becomes another revenue stream for me. Um, I do coaching. So whether folks want to opt into a coaching package via the LinkedIn playbook or whether they reach out to me and they want sales coaching, you know, I'm, I'm generally happy to fill up, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday slots that are not available for clients or not taken by clients with coaching. And so that's, that kind of becomes like a third revenue stream for me. Um, my wife and I co-founded a small investment company, which is again, just the, just the two of us called the Shelby project. And we invest our money into small businesses like not small businesses, like SaaS businesses, like, you know, plant business, hardware business, flooring business, like helping people get on their feet and get their revenue started. And so we, we actually, you know, make some, some income through that. Um, and then I'd say, uh, lastly, like I, I get s small projects here and there speaking engagements. And so, um, also affiliate, like I do some small affiliate stuff, um, sponsorships, like there, there's a bunch of different ways that, that, I guess, revenue comes in. Um, and the way that I think about it is putting your money to work for you. So I take the money that's core to me through my advising business. And I, you know, I pay my bills, live my life and do all the normal things. Anything that's, you know, on top of that, I invest. And um, my goal is to continue to invest as fast as possible um, in as many different vehicles as possible. And I'm like meticulous at tracking you know, my mint and my wealth front and all that stuff, because I try and scoot that retirement age down by a year every so often, you know, I've got it at 52 right now. And my nice. ultimate goal is like 48. So, uh, you know, I'm working towards that, but I'm, I'm meticulous about that because it's important to me. Yeah. Okay. And, and you mentioned the Shelby project. I'm glad you did. I think that's so cool. That's like, you know, I don't know if you have watched the profit, you know, Marcus Limonis or, um, and anyways, uh, he's just a, a guy that pretty much does that. He hops into small businesses and helps kind of drive their revenue streams. Um, but what, what do you look for? Like, what do you, can you give me an example of how you've hopped into like a furniture business or a coffee shop or something and actually help them drive revenue? How does that yeah, work? Yeah, we, we look for um, proof of at least $2,500 in recurring revenue per month. So, and we, we also look at our, any investment needs to lead to very simple revenue streams. So let me give you an example. Um, if you have an idea that has not produced revenue yet 
and you come to me and say, Hey, I, you know, I could use 5,000 bucks to launch a website. Um, and I don't have that right now to invest in my business. We likely would pass on that because there's not an immediate path to revenue, right? A website doesn't generate revenue automatically. There's no revenue in this company yet. Like it's a, it's a risk. Now, if uh, a guy who runs a flooring business, which is a good example, comes and says, hey, uh, I'm successful right now. I'm, I'm, I'm making 3K a month, right? I'm making 36K a year in revenue, but I have some expenses and I don't have a website and I don't understand how to market my business. And oh, by the way, I could also use some additional lumber, right? And, and if, if I, I'm pretty busy right now, but I could be twice as busy through, through a website and some marketing and some new materials, like that person's already making revenue here in East Nashville, like it's hard to find someone does great flooring and they're not, not because they don't exist, but because they're so busy, right? There's such demand. And so like, I would invest in that. I would give that person the money. I would help build their website. I would help direct them in the ways to market their services and um, help them get that lumber. Like that, that would be a perfect fit for us because they're already generating revenue. Um, marketing could potentially, you know, double their, their revenue. And the way that we make money is we do a simple rev share agreement. So it's, it's a rev share where you, you pay us back our investment and then we take a small percentage of your revenue in perpetuity. And so, you know, it's for folks who, who need that extra boost, but also could use our knowledge. You know, I can stand up a website, but also help you get the word out pretty simply. And so that's an example of like a business that would be interesting to us. That's, that's a super interesting concept. And I, I, want to, uh, I want to transition to what I call the selfish section. So this is where I ask a question specifically for me. Um, So it's interesting. I was actually going to do this about something via LinkedIn, but I've just, I've changed my mind on the fly. You've, you've talked about, you know, your wife a few times during this podcast, you've talked about her during Thursday night sales. Like, Hey, I got to leave at this time. Cause like, I got to go have dinner with my wife. Like every week that was consistent. Right. And you've mentioned that you mentioned it like in your website it's like or or linkedin it's like hey you know these are some of my hobbies and it it always mentions her so Mm -hmm. i would love to just understand from you as someone else that is you know kind of peaking towards uh you know i'm in a very serious relationship peaking towards you know engagement and marriage and things like that uh in the near future like how do you how do you do both those things how do you go from being workaholic justin that is you know super meticulous and focused on your business and the finances and things like that, or, but also, um, you know, creating a, what seems like on the outside, a very, you know, great relationship. Yeah. It's, um, it's a work in progress always. Like, um, I think what you saw on Thursday night sales is probably a good, like, uh, example of that, right? Like, um, I love Scott and Amy and they could go until 10 PM, but that just, I don't know, like, I, I work a lot during the day. And so to do that, um, I just didn't think was fair. Right. So I used to cut out at, I think 7 PM every, um, every week. And that's just like, that's just an agreement that we make. Right. That's just, you make an agreement and say like, Hey, you work a lot during the day. And so evening is our time. Right. Um, I think another thing that we do is, is I know this may sound weird to some folks, but I'm a, I'm a calendar junkie. So like everything that I do both professionally and personally exists in my calendar in a very color coded way. And so I schedule, I know it sounds weird. I schedule like time aside from work, right? My wife and I like to walk. I have two back surgeries. So running is not real, real simple for me. Um, so we do a lot of walking and hiking. 
And so I'll carve out time on Friday mornings, Monday mornings, like early to go to Shelby Park, which is around the corner from us, hence the Shelby Project. And, um, you know, do a four mile walk. Um, we'll go to, um, the blanking on the name. There's another park right now, uh, about 30 minutes outside of Nashville. Uh, I think it's called Percy Warner Park. We'll go there on the weekends and we'll do like a two hour hike, uh, which is a little bit more challenging. And so we carve out time like that. Um, she's pretty good at cracking the whip. If I'm like on my computer at 6 PM, she'll be like, I'm not going to talk to you with that computer open. So, you know, there's a lot of that. And so like, I'll, I'll shut the computer down and we'll pour a glass of wine and like spend some time together. Um, you know, we, we have dinner together every single night. Um, there's a lot of times where we get to have lunch together, which is really cool, especially on Mondays and Fridays. Um, so on Mondays and Fridays, we might go out to a really cool restaurant here in Nashville and have a, a great lunch. Um, so it's really just, it's about making it a priority. You know, I think that's, if you don't make it a priority, then it's going to fail. And so I have to be reminded of that all the time and I'm certainly not perfect at it. Yeah, I think that's great. And how do you go about the the calendar i do some similar but how do you go about the color coding and like like what's what's your what's your strategy yeah 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 i just i i like to be able to glance at my calendar very quickly and understand what my week is is looks like so it's like red for exercise it's, it's aqua for content creation it's yellow for email it's blue for meetings it's green for money meetings like it, it's just it's very simple for me to glance at my calendar very quickly gray is lunch red like pink is dinner. Like I have all these different colors I use and I can glance at my calendar in a moment and know exactly how I'm spending my time that week. And it also helps me with that sort of system that I'm working on to try and free up my time, which is, you know, what can I eliminate? So I, at a moment's notice, I can see things that aren't as important to me. You know, what can I automate? So is there a system that I can put in place to make sure that I don't have to do this particular thing every single week manually? And then what can I delegate? Like, um, I don't have a VA, you know, um, but oftentimes, like, I'll spend a lot of time tinkering with my website and then be like, gosh, darn it, I can go on Fiverr and hire this person to figure this out. And so I'm, I've been doing a lot of that as well. And my color coding helps me stay focused on what's important and what's less important. You ever look at that calendar at the end of the week and like, like man, I spent way too much time doing a, B, or C. It's like, man, I don't have any green on here for money meetings. Like, what yeah. happened? This yeah. Week? Now, the, the good thing is clients come first for me. So yeah. it's, okay. it's, let's, let's, I'll call that the foundation of my house and everything else is built around it. Um, so I do look at that though. Like I'll give you an example, which is a real life example. I'm, I'd like to transition into having a personal website where I'm blogging more regularly. And there's a, a site called ghost.org, which you can stand up a really nice blog. And that's why I'd like my new personal site to be built on. But it requires some knowledge of coding. And so for three straight days, for like two hours in the morning, like 5.30 in the morning, I was like frantically trying to learn how to code. And like <laughs> that happens to me all the time. And then I had to take a step back and say, I think that someone probably already knows how to do this and can get this done very easily. So after wasting five or six hours of my time over three days, I went on to Fiverr. I paid a guy in Nicaragua $30 and in one hour he had it completed. And I was like, this was such a time saver. He was really super pumped to get the job. I was super pumped to get it taken care of and it cost me 30 bucks. And those are constant reminders to myself of, you know, how I should be spending my time. Yeah, I think that's great. And um, before we transition out, I did want to get one question um, that I sourced from the audience from, my guy Brian Marzo. So he was he asked me, um, 
managing time specifically for all right so he's in a role where he is uh you know leading a team driving that new business and managing clients and doing all those three things mm-hmm. at the same time and mm-hmm. i think has really struggled with time management um i can relate from my last role uh was a player coach and so leading a team and, and also had a, a quota to cover as a rep and it was it wasn't impossible, but it was really challenging to to manage my time as well. So what would you recommend to someone that maybe has multiple roles within their own role and are really struggling to prioritize and, and find the right ways to use their time? I mean, I would use the system that I, that I use. Um, and it is a system from a guy named Rory Vaden, who ironically is here locally in Nashville. And I stumbled across his Ted talk a few months ago and it really, really struck a chord with me. And it's, what it is, is essentially that procrastination is not a bad thing. And so when I read that, I was like, that can't be true, right? So I watched the, the TED Talk and here's his system. He's got essentially a funnel where each morning he looks at his calendar and the things that he has to do. And the first thing he asks himself is, which of these things can I absolutely eliminate? Like, what is, what is something that's on my calendar that like I did as a favor, but like definitely isn't adding to my bottom line, especially because I'm super busy. Like in this example of Brian, right? He doesn't have time to do people favors because he's super busy. Like what can I eliminate first, right? Next, what can I automate? So oftentimes when I'm talking with sales leaders who have multiple responsibilities, I'll dig in and find that like forecasting takes an hour because they're doing it in an Excel document. It's like, okay, if you're, if you're doing an hour's worth of forecasting every week, you're spending 52 hours a year forecasting, right? Could you take 10 hours and go find someone who can build something in your Salesforce instance or whatever instance you use or use Zapier to create automated forecasting from your team that they fill out for you so that you don't have to worry about it? Could you save an hour a week? So it's what can you eliminate and then what can you automate? What can you automate with software? What can you automate with Zapier? What can you automate without with the, you know, um, somebody who does it for you that you might hire like a virtual assistant? And then what can you outsource? So like today, outsourcing what you might think of Fiverr or Upwork, but maybe in his case, like outsourcing is who whom on his team could he outsource some responsibility to, right? Who could he delegate some some responsibility to? And once you've gone through those three exercises, what can you eliminate? What can you automate? What can you delegate? What's left is what you get to do, right? So there are two things that you can do with what you get to do. You can do it now or you can do it later. What you should do now are the things that are most important, the things that have the highest impact to your day, to your week, to your month, to your quarter, right? Everything that you should do later, you toss into the top of the funnel again tomorrow and it moves its way through. Eliminate, automate, delegate. At some point, the thing that you should do later will become the thing that you should do now, or it may get eliminated, automated, or delegated. So that is the structure that I, I now follow to manage my time more effectively. And I thank Rory Vaden and his excellent TED Talk for that. Wow. Shout out to Rory. Brian, get to work on that, on that calendar. Um, Justin, where can we best find but well before we get to that i got it you you know i i don't know if you're a big self-promotion guy but i have to promote maybe for you on your behalf that um your content on linkedin is outstanding the advice you, you give is fantastic and what i appreciate is that you you write like you talk you say you you like to write and i like that you 
you're not just writing to write, you know, like you write the way that you talk. If people listen to this conversation and then they read your posts, they say the same guy did both of those two things, right? And I think that that's something that you don't always see. Uh, salespeople are, aren't always the best writers. Um, and so I appreciate that and it's, it's helped me on my journey. So I wanted to give a shout out to you for your LinkedIn, the LinkedIn playbook. I've seen like hundreds of people post about it on LinkedIn. So um, it's just, you're doing a lot of good in, the, in this general sales and revenue community. Um, so I wanted to give you that plug uh, just in case you weren't going to plug yourself, but where else can people find you? What's the best way to, to connect with sure. you? Sure. If they're interested in LinkedIn, they can go to the linkedinplaybook.com. That's the linkedinplaybook.com. Um, if they just want to learn more about you know me and some of the businesses that I have, they can go to the officialjustin.com. That's the officialjustin.com. And um, you know, if they want to reach out and say hello, they can email me at hello at theofficialjustin.com. How cool of a site is the official Justin? <laughs> it's, cor it's corny, but it's easy to remember. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate your time. Um, everyone go give him a follow on some of those platforms. Um, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Tom, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, thanks.